Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor and president of Crux, your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism. And this is Last Week in the Church, your weekly recap of basically stale news, stuff you kind of already know, but nevertheless, sort of, you know, heated up on the stovetop with a little extra spice, a little secret sauce, and made palatable once more. Now, normally at this point, I would tick off five stories we're going to cover this week. It's just, we've been apart for two weeks because of the holidays, and to be completely honest with you, there wasn't a great deal of news out of the Vatican over the holidays. So instead, here's the rundown for this week. I am going to briefly cover the highlights of the holiday season, and then I am going to give you my personal top five wild and crazy predictions for the Vatican in 2022. Today is the first day of the new year that we're broadcasting, so why not? That's what we've got for you, so please stick around. All right, so we'll begin with just a very brief recap of the highlights over the holiday season. You know, the truth of it is that even though the Pope during the holidays is on stage a lot, it's typically not a big news-generating period because he's not announcing policy decisions or, you know, making key personnel appointments. The messages tend to be more spiritual, although the, the Pope, and this Pope in particular, does tend to connect the message of the holidays to whatever the, the broader social situation in the world happens to be. So on Christmas Eve, for instance, we heard him reflecting on the social impact of the coronavirus pandemic. That is, groups that have been particularly disadvantaged because of the new realities created by the coronavirus. For instance, women who are more exposed to violence and abuse, children who are more exposed to bullying, elderly people who are feeling increasingly abandoned, isolated, alone, and frightened because of the realities of the coronavirus. And on New Year's Eve, we heard him returning in a particular way to the situation involving women. He was, of course, you know, New Year's Day is the, the, the feast of Mary, Mother of God. And so, not surprising that Pope Francis would find himself, both New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, in some sense, reflecting on women. And uh, among other things, he issued a strong denunciation of violence against women, calling it an insult against God. Now, all of that is, while interesting, not exactly original. We have heard similar themes from the Pope uh, over previous holiday seasons and in other contexts. Probably from a news point of view, the one actually newsy thing that happened this holiday season came on New Year's Eve. That night, the Vatican had distributed little, you know, score guides, <laughs> you know, programs for the Pope's liturgy that evening, uh, the Vesper service, uh, which indicated that Pope Francis was going to be leading it. This was three hours before the service. They were telling people Pope Francis was going to once again be running the show. But in the event, that's not actually what happened. Pope Francis simply participated in the liturgy. That is, they brought in a special chair for him to sit in. 
And then uh, all he did during the course of the liturgy was get up and deliver the, the homily, that is the reflection that evening. Instead, the liturgy was led by Italian Cardinal John Battista Re, who is Dean of the College of Cardinals. Beyond that, former Sustituto in the Secretary of State, former Prefect of the Congregation for Bishops, held basically every Vatican gig you can possibly imagine. Now, the Vatican, and, and this was December 31st, folks. I am speaking to you as of Monday morning, January 3rd, Rome time. The Vatican has still given us no explanation, none, as to why the Pope I, I didn't actually pull out. He simply decided to dial down his rule that evening. Now, look, in a sense, I suppose we don't really need an official explanation because we kind of all know. The reality is that this is an 85-year-old pope who, among other things, suffers from occasional bouts of sciatica. That's a nerve condition that affects the, the, the lower back, the upper legs, makes it painful and difficult for him to stand or sit in the same place for extended periods of time, which is, of course, if you're leading some big papal liturgy, that's kind of what you have to do. And, and really, the message here, I think, for the Vatican not saying anything about it, is, look, guys, this is the new normal. The Pope has sciatica. Every now and then, it's going to flare up unexpectedly and unpredictably, and he's going to have to limit his role in things. And we're not always going to be able to give you a heads up because we're not always going to be able to see it coming. It just is what it is. Deal with it. Fair enough. You know what my only issue with the way the Pope handled this New Year's Eve? 85-year-old Pope with sciatica passes the buck to an 87-year-old cardinal who, in a way, has been around the Vatican scene even longer than he has and probably has an even better argument for not having to, like, gear up uh, on New Year's Eve and engage in some big public performance. But whatever, that's Cardinal Ray for you. The, the guy, when you look at him, by the way, looks exactly the same age he did as when I first met him more than 20 years ago. I, I don't know what his secret is, but there's something going on. All right. That was the Pope over the holidays. Now, let's turn the page because, as I mentioned, this is the first broadcast of last week in the church in calendar 2022. And it seems to beckon a kind of forward-looking orientation. And more to the point, this is the time of year when pundits and talking heads like me roll out their bold predictions for 2022 most of which will turn out to be wildly and totally inaccurate. But the great thing is, by the end of the year, nobody will remember that I did this at the beginning, so it's kind of no harm, no foul. All right, we begin with one that to me seems relatively safe. I'm predicting here and now that the Vatican's trial of the century will collapse under its own weight in 2022 and end in a whimper rather than a bang. This, of course, is the trial. For the first time, with a prince of the church as a defendant, Italian Cardinal Angelo Becciu, several other individuals charged with various forms of fraud, embezzlement, financial crime, 
having to do with a $400 million land deal the Vatican tried to pull off in London. Now, it has become, a couple of things have become abundantly clear. One is the prosecutors in this case simply aren't up to the demands of a trial with this many moving parts on this scale. They have been scrambling from the very beginning. It would appear, based upon the early hearings in this case, there's real doubt as to whether they have the infrastructure, the, the human and logistical capacity to, to pull this off. The other point is, it is also clear that there are some pieces of evidence that the prosecutors collected in their uh, initial round of interrogations that led to these charges that they simply don't want to turn over. They have faced repeated demands to turn over unedited versions of the recordings they've made. They haven't done it. We'll, we'll see whether they do it in January, but, it, but it, it just seems abundantly clear. There's something there they don't want us to know. And, and may well prefer seeing this thing end in a mistrial rather than having to show their hand. So for those reasons and others, that's prediction one. The trial of the century will end as the train wreck of the century. Okay, number two. The Pope Francis's Synod of Bishops on Synodality, and, and just remember where we are. This is a three-year process that the Pope announced last year. Right now, we are still in the diocesan phase of collecting input from Catholics on the diocesan level. And that was initially supposed to end in April. The Vatican extended the deadline for contributions to August. Then in September, a continental phase of like sifting through all that input will begin and all of this to culminate with a physical synod of bishops in Rome in August 2023. My prediction, during 2022, the Synod on Synodality will become a growing source of alarm for people in the Catholic Church who aren't entirely on board with the Pope Francis agenda, because what will begin happening early in the year and building up to August is that many dioceses are going to release the results of their consultations publicly. They won't just send them to the Vatican, but they may well make them public either online or in a published document or in an event. And when and if that happens, there are going to be some people who don't like the kinds of issues that these dioceses are flagging. And that is particularly likely, I think, because the dioceses around the world most enthusiastic about this process are led by bishops most loyal to Pope Francis and therefore most likely to flag issues of concern that would reflect elements of the Pope's agenda, which would mean that more conservative forces are going to be, well, their blood pressure is going to go up as this stuff begins to roll in. And uh, my guess would be that there will be some kind of behind-the-scenes conversation about how to prevent disaster when the bishops actually meet in Rome in 2023. All right. And that, by a short path, leads me to my third prediction for 2022, which is, if it doesn't already exist, and I don't know that it doesn't, but if it doesn't already exist, at some point during 2022, 
a St. Gallen group of the Catholic center-right will be formed. You may remember that the St. Gallen group, sometimes called the St. Gallen Mafia, was that group of kind of center-left, progressive Catholic prelates who met several times in the, during the final years of John Paul II's papacy to try to think about the kind of successor they wanted to have. It included prominent liberals such as Cardinal Gottfried Donnells of Belgium, Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor of the UK, Cardinal Walter Casper, Cardinal Karl Lehmann, both of Germany. Now, they didn't get their man, obviously, in 2005 when Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was elected, but several of those cardinals took part in the conclave of 2013. It is widely believed many of them were pushing the election of Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Buenos Aires in Argentina, who did, of course, become Pope Francis. Now, the question is, is there such a group today on the center-right? Well, I don't know. I can't exclude it. If there is, I have not been invited to their meetings. But what I can tell you is that if it doesn't already exist, there is a high likelihood that something like it will be formed in 2022, in part because Pope Francis is no longer a spring chicken. As I said, 85, has had colon surgery, continues to suffer from sciatica. No indication of any immediate health crisis and therefore any immediate transition, but I would just imagine that there are some cardinals and other prelates who might be thinking it would pay to be ready. And further, I suspect that the buzz around the synod on synods, which will grow throughout the year, is likely to motivate some of them at least to think, hey, the liberals got the jump on us last time. This time, we need to be the ones who are good to go. It's not going to be announced publicly. There, there is not going to be any kind of pay-per-view event to watch these guys get together. So we may not even know it is happening. But I predict something like that's going to happen. Can I just, very briefly though, before we move on, I do want to say that there is a constituency in the Catholic Church that finds this whole idea of cardinals or other bishops talking about the papal transition before it happens distasteful, in bad form, in some way kind of disloyal, right? That if the Holy Spirit is supposed to inspire this process and lead it, then they should just let that happen and in the meantime cool their jets, right? That's the thinking. I've always found that silly, to be honest with you. I think most cardinals in the Catholic Church know that the choice of the next pope is going to be the most important decision they will ever make in terms of their careers in leadership in the Catholic Church. It is the single most important act they will ever commit. And I think most cardinals take that deeply seriously and want to be as ready for that choice as they can. And that involves the human level of preparation, that is studying backgrounds, becoming informed about people, watching people in action. It also includes the supernatural, of being open to the movement of the spirit in a conclave and being willing to adjust one's outlook and agenda depending upon that discernment. In other words, both of them are totally legitimate in this notion that there's something off-putting or wrong 
about talking to people whose judgment you trust about the most important choice you're ever going to make as a leader in the Catholic Church, to me, is just, well, it's silly. All right, very quickly, two other predictions before we move on. I predict that as 2022 opens, there are at least 10 prominent senior Catholic bishops currently in the fullness of their power who will not have a job when the year ends. This due to the ongoing clerical sex abuse scandals in the church. Now, you may think, are there, any real, are there really any bishops ready, any more bishops to fall? I mean, we've been at this for 20 years. Haven't, hasn't anyone with any exposure uh, already been through the gauntlet? Well, the frank answer to that question is no. You know, we just saw the situation in France with a blockbuster report that created pressure on some bishops and cost a couple their, their roles. Such a report is due in Spain this year. Many people are still waiting for the dam to burst in Poland. And then once we get out of Europe, whether, whether East or West, and North America, in the developing world, many people think that the Philippines, for example, could be the next place to see a massive eruption of the crisis. Moral of this story is no. This, this crisis is not over. Now, most of this will be bishops today paying the price for mistakes in the past. But my point is that the bill for past misconduct, past failure in the Catholic Church, has not yet been fully paid. And we will see that play out again in 2022. Finally, the perceived tension between the U.S. bishops and the Vatican under Pope Francis will again be in the news in 2022 because Archbishop Jose Gomez's three-year term as president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference will be up in November. It's a three-year term. He was elected in November 2019, which means his successor will be chosen in 2022. Now. If things hold to form, the bishops would probably elect Gomez's vice president, who is Archbishop Alan Vigneron of Detroit, also a perceived conservative, also a perceived John Paul II bishop. But that's not written in the stars. By November 22, there will be more bishops in the United States appointed by Pope Francis. Perhaps the math in the conference will have changed. In any event, I guarantee you that the media, both in the United States and in Rome, will be spinning this as a test case for where, as a litmus test, a referendum for where the American bishops stand on Pope Francis and where they stand on how confrontational they want to be with U.S. President Joe Biden. Around the same time, America will be facing the drama of midterm election. So, ladies and gentlemen, on the U.S., Vatican, and politics front, 2022 is going to be another hot year. All right, those are my wild and crazy predictions. We will see how close or far away from reality I am. In the meantime, we will be here next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern to recap some actual news. During that seven-day interval, please check 
full coverage of all of these stories and more on the Crux site. Again, that is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. We also, when you're on the site, have a nice and easy way to contribute financially to Crux. If you find a way clear to do that, it doesn't have to be much. Remember, our independence is our most precious commodity, but that independence doesn't come free. We need your help to pay for it. If you can help us in any way, we would be deeply, deeply appreciative. So for the next seven days, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will talk to you again soon.